Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. If you're listening to this episode, then you're likely a student athlete or family member of one. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you find our podcast valuable. Mental performance coaching allows young athletes to show up at their best every single day by conquering distractions, pressures, and mental roadblocks through evidence-based strategies. So let's talk. You can visit my website at michaelvsinvincenthuber.com to schedule a free strategy session. Let's see if mental performance coaching is a fit for your family. Enjoy this episode, and thank you again for listening. How is Eric Degatti busting myths about physical training for young athletes? It's extremely common for young athletes to engage in strength training to enhance their physical performance. Many athletes start training in their early teens to develop strength, speed, and endurance. However, it's also common for those athletes to receive misleading or substandard instruction which leads to poor habits and potentially to injury. My guest in this episode, Eric Degatti, has spent 20 years in the fitness industry. Eric works with athletes of all types, including professionals and young athletes. Eric has a unique approach to client assessment, performance enhancement, and injury prevention. In episode 38, Eric discusses how he assesses and trains young athletes for success. As Eric shares, Training is not about setting weight room records. Successful training is about properly assessing young athletes' movement capabilities and developing programming that allows them to create an athletic foundation that translates to better performance. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Eric Degatti. Hey, Eric. How's it going, man? Going great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it's great to see you there. Got the weights in the background, uh, ready for the podcast. I love it. Absolutely. Um, I want so the first question I want to ask you. I saw in your bio that uh, you appeared in the Four Hour Body by Tim Ferriss, who is like a big. I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss. The Four Hour Work Week is another one of his books that's really influenced me in the way I think about things. So when I saw that, it sort of just jumped out at me. I'm a, a bit of a nerd. So how did you how did you get involved with that? It's kind of an interesting story. So uh, one of the companies I've been teaching for as a lead instructor for the last 15 years is Functional Movement Systems. Now, uh, Functional Movement Systems, or the FMS, was created by Gray Cook, who is a legendary physical therapist. Uh, Gray was writing his book, Movement. And uh, I get a call from Gray out of the blue, and he says, listen, you need to do me a big solid. My book's about to come out, and I just landed a, a huge thing where I have this New York Times bestselling author who wrote a blurb for the back of the book, like one of the promotional things. And so he said, he happens to be in New York. And he says, I want to do your movement screen and I need your best guy. So uh, I had my facility in New Jersey at the time. He said, can you help me out? So I called, you know, I call this number, get this guy. And he said, uh, you know, I'm in Manhattan now. I can get a cab and be out there, you know, in an hour. So I said, okay. So I happen to have the availability. It worked out. Now, New York Times bestselling author, I'm expecting some guy in horn rim glasses and a, and a gray goatee to walk in the door <laughs> with, a, with a you know cardigan sweater. 
because I had never heard of Tim Ferriss at the time. He his only book was Four Hour Work Week, and it had he right. was not the phenomenon he was now. And yeah. so he walks in the door, some young guy in board shorts and vans. And so I'm like, okay, this is cool. So I put him through a movement screen, and and uh, he he thought it was kind of cool that I had discovered some some shoulder stuff that he had been dealing with for some time and said, Oh, this is awesome. Gave him some exercise he could do to help. And at the time he was still living in San Francisco. He said, you know, look me up anytime you're in San Francisco, we'll get together for dinner. And that was it. So I said, Oh, he was an interesting guy. And then, you know, went and Googled him and saw he had this, this little cult following that started following. So I went out and got the, the, the four hour work week and listened to him. I'm like, this is kind of cool. And then never thought much about it. So now fast forward, like six months later, and someone calls the, the facility and they talk to my scheduling guy and they said, we, I need to book a, a movement screen with Eric. And at the time I wasn't taking on any new clients. And he's like, you can book a movement screen with anybody. In the, in the, and he goes, no, I need to do it with him. So he's like, this guy's insisting to see you. So I said, all right, listen, just tell him, you know, charge him a, a, a full rate and then we'll see what happens. Guy walks in the door and he's got this big, thick book. And he's like, you're the guy. I go, well, I guess. What does that mean? He goes, page 283 or whatever. And he hands me this book and it says the four hour body. And I look and it has a section on the functional movement screen. And the start of the book, the start of that chapter says, I went and got a functional movement screen from Eric Degatti at One Human Performance. Wow. Never told me he was doing it. So he was going around and researching with all these different experts in different areas of, of, physical preparation. And he went and Joe DeFranco is a friend of mine. He went and talked with him about combine sure. training and he went and talked with, um, Tracy Rifkin about kettlebell training and, uh, mm-hmm. all these different people. And, but he never told me that he was writing a book or that's what he was investigating. Um, so, uh, it just kind of happened to be that I landed in that and it was kind of a cool experience that, uh, I did it. And then he was, you know, the podcast wasn't really a thing back then. And so he was not nearly yeah. the phenomenon he is now. And now I've become a huge fan myself. Yeah. So, has I guess the follow-on question to that is is like what has that done, if anything, for your business? Like being mentioned in the book has did it did it have any significant impact on like your your recogni- you know being your recognition or just in terms of an uptick in business? Um, I, I'm not going to say it had a huge windfall. I mean, every okay. once in a while, I'll get somebody that that will you know seek me out and, and say they saw that, but uh, okay. and much more in when it initially came out, but. Um, it, it was just in their kind of cool experience on the, yeah. on the journey that I've had, uh, which has kind of taken me some, some different and cool places that I wouldn't have expected when I got into this field. And, and the last question on this, cause I want to get into what we were here to talk about is, did you ever get to San Francisco and have dinner with them? No, that I neglected because I didn't know who he was, right? <laughs> was hoping, I didn't know who he right. was. So I <laughs> like, who's this guy? Some, some <laughs> you know, anybody can print their own book. So I'm like, I have to pull it off. And then of course, when he, he blows up, now he doesn't return my text when I send it, you know, say, Hey, can we get right. together? But, of course. That's, um, that's I missed funny. that vote, unfortunately. So I have to become, <laughs> as you have to get this podcast out there. So I'll be big and famous and he'll hopefully return my call now. Um, so, I mean, we, you know, when we connected initially and we talked before the podcast, I mean, obviously it's, it was under the pretense of, you know, you're out there training athletes, right? Young athletes, that's sort of like, you know, our target audience. So can you, can you talk about not only FMS, but can you talk about just in general, how you assess young athletes? Um, because I think that that's probably an area where there's a huge deficiency, I think for young people starting out with a real good baseline understanding of what they can and can't do. Yeah. So that, so it, it kind of depends on the, the audience and the setting. And the reason I say that is because, uh, in the course of my day, I may have, um, 
a high school team. Like after we're done, I have a high school football team that I'm going to be working with. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a little bit different than say when I have a, um, I have also a baseball academy where I'm working with mm-hmm. kids who are more middle school age uh, that I have later today. And then, you know, tomorrow morning I have some professional baseball pitchers who are going to be coming in. And so they're all, because of their, their, their environment they're going into is a little bit different in terms of what we need mm-hmm. to assess for and what we need to consider. So, you know, with that, if I have on the, on the top end and then we'll work our way down on the top end with, with the pitchers, that's not only going to be a lot more uh, involved because there's a stakes are higher, right? It's their livelihood, but it's also going to be a little bit different in terms of there's a lot more specificity in their, their testing. You're talking about one of the mm-hmm. most complex things in, in all sports is throwing a baseball and also one of the most violent things you could do to the human shoulder. Mm-hmm. So we have to take into a lot of considerations as of what are the things that we have to do to keep them as healthy as possible when we're talking about Two of the three have had Tommy John surgeries um, mm-hmm. that we need to, to be mindful of. And then also, you know, the difference between throwing 92 and 94, maybe the difference in you playing in an independent league or you being signed to an affiliate team. Um, so there's the stakes are higher. So we dial that in a little bit deeper. Regress it all the way back to, to, to the middle school kids who are, you know, uh, adolescents who were just getting ready to go into high school. And I have them in a group setting. Uh, we'll look at their fundamental movements and look and see, can you do the basics? Um, because mm-hmm. a lot of times we miss those big rocks. And, and so training is, I always use analogy. If, if you ever see the, the, um, story, there's a, and I wish I could attribute to somebody cause it's almost become this urban legend. And I don't know where it's actually from. There was a college professor that did this analogy of the jar of life. You ever heard of it? So, mm, no, uh, I don't think so. so it's, it's a marketing professor who puts a big empty glass jar on his desk and he, he then uh, proceeds to fill it first with big rocks and then with pebbles and then fills it in with, he, it with sand. And he starts with putting the big rocks in. He says, this jar full. People say, yeah, it's full. And he says, well, then he squeezes all these pebbles in. And then now is it full? Well, no. And then, and then he puts the sand in. Now is it full? But then he dumps it all out. And then he starts by filling in the sand. And then once the, all the sand is in there, you don't have room for the pebbles and rocks. And mm. so it's how you prioritize where you put right. things in. Now, his analogy like for his prior, his analogy for life was very cool. It's saying the big rocks are the things that are most important to you. That's your family, sure. your, your closest loved ones, right. and and your health. Those things are your big rocks. The pebbles would be your next thing down, your, your friends, your career, those types of things, which are important, but not uh, as important as the big rocks, but more important than the sand. And the sand is the day-to-day kind of minutiae. And so when we we talk about, you know, training is that if you go on social media and, you know, on the strength coach side of social media, um, everybody's arguing about the sand over what's the proper way to, to, to measure, you know, velocity within a, within a set. And they're looking at what's the proper way to teach sprint mechanics or to work on the the details of conditioning for lacrosse. Whereas like, I got to worry about the big rocks first. Like, can these kids touch their toes? Like, I'm going to teach them how to breathe properly. I'm going to teach them the basics about nutrition. And so, uh, when I lay it out, I I look at, you know, we have a 12 week program. I don't do it as a, you know, series of 24 workouts that they come in, run around, sweat and get sore. I put it actually together like a college course where it's a, it's a 12 week process where we're going to develop you, um, and teach you all the, these things that are going to set you up for success for the, for the rest of the way. And so even some of the most basic things we do with, uh, you know, I have a program specific to young baseball players called diamond core, and it's in a, mm-hmm. just a, a fundamental movement, uh, program that all you use is two baseballs, a water bottle, uh, your bat and your glove. 
But with those things, we've been able to see some significant changes when they step into the next cage and go ahead and start to hit or throw uh, mm-hmm. from the skill side. So it's been a pretty cool thing. So it's relative kind of to the audience and the setting. Yeah. Well, it's it's very similar to what I do, which is to say like not every – the programming for every client is different in terms of what their needs are, right? But you always start with an assessment, right, in the beginning to understand where they're at. And I think it's one of the things that when you were talking, I was thinking about my work because I started working with younger, like 9, 10, 11 year olds, which I never thought I would do because I was like, well, why would I – it just seems too early – And then I started to work with them and I realized those big rocks, like that's where you build the foundation and you talk about these like core basic concepts in mental performance. You start them at nine, 10, like you've already like, you've, you've, you know, you've fought half the battle. Whereas like I could start with an 18 year old and still be having the same conversation about the rocks because there's all the sand in the jar, right? They get all these little details that been filling their mind for the last 18 years. And now all of a sudden you start with them and it's like, well, I don't even know like what controlling the controllables means, right? Like, so we start back at this sort of basic level, the same stuff I'm teaching a nine and 10 year old. I'm teaching my 18 year olds because they've just fast forwarded and missed all the big stuff. It's funny because it's the same parallel as like the, the myths of, of, of lifting weights, right? There's this, this old wives tale of like, yes. don't let young kids lift weights. Whereas I have some nine, 10, 11 year olds that I have no problem with them lifting weight. Like if they can lunge with with great movement competency with their own body weight and we need to increase the challenge a little bit, then if they grab some light dumbbells or kettlebell, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. I have 18 year olds that I don't want touching a a piece of weight because they're, they can't even squat their own body weight. So it's really relative to their capabilities and and the art of really training is I tell everybody you need to be two things. You need to be challenged because if you're not challenged, you won't change. And you need to be successful. So it's like if you're going to bench press and you can only bench press 100 pounds for five for five reps and we put 200 pounds on the bar, things just going to saw you in half. Um, right. But if you put 50 pounds on the bar, it's not going to be enough to really create a challenge to right. change it. So I need to find that sweet spot right at what we call the edge of their ability where that's really the art of training. And how do I find that? From a movement yeah. perspective, from, a, from, from your side, from the mental perspective, from a conditioning perspective, mm-hmm. all of that is kind of finding – right where the edge of their ability is and push them just beyond that. And how do you find, how do you find that the, the people that you work with, the young people like respond to that? Meaning like, if you're going to challenge them, like how do they look at training? Do they look at it as like, wow, this is really exciting and different and I know it's going to help me. Or do they look at it as like, Oh, I know I have to do this, but. Yeah. And a lot of that is, 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 frame is the framework that they've been given by adults. The adults are worse at dealing with it than the kids are because they have their own (laughs) framework. And and so I have to do first, I have to undo what the adults have sold them. And then I can start telling what this actually is. And then once they get that, then they're like, no, this isn't what it's supposed to be like. That's, you know, so whether it's on the individual side of, of explaining, you know, what a, what a workout is. So like on day Mm -hmm. one, if you, if you come in with, with your son, um, I'm going to ask him a few basic questions that I've asked everyone individually for the last 20 plus years is number one, why are you here? What are you looking to accomplish? And then w- a few questions down the road is I'm going to ask him like, how do you know if I've done my job? Like, what is a good workout to you? What do you think my answer is 99% of the time? What, what is a good workout? Yeah. Like what's the answer? Yeah, that, oh, the that the I answer get? to you yes. is, oh yeah. Like I'm, I'm sweating. 
Like I'm, okay. I'm burnt out. The two most common answers, 99.9% of the time. I sweat a lot. It was really hard. Okay. And I was really sore afterwards. And so I just turn around and say, okay, well, if that's all you're looking for, I tell you what, I got a deal for you. Mom and dad are going to love this. You're not even <laughs> have to pay for it. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to come to my house this weekend and I'm going to give you a list of shit to do. And you're going to clean my yard. You're going <laughs> to clean out my garage. You're going to mow the lawn. You're going to do all this stuff. You'll sweat a lot. You'll get really sore. Yeah. You won't be any better at lacrosse, but that's not what you said you wanted. You wanted to just sweat and get sore. So the, right. the first thing we got to do is, is define what actually you are here for. And you came in yes. because I want to do something that I can't do now and I don't know how to get there, right? And so that's really what a good workout is, is you're walking yes. out the door doing something you couldn't do before, or at least you yes. know something about yourself, whether it's your sleep or your nutrition or, or, or yes. movements and so forth, that now is going to allow you to do things you could never do before. Um, and then the other thing on the team side is, you know, there's, there's something really um, that, you know, I, I need you probably to counsel me through as, as far as the, the label <laughs> that gets slapped on you when you're a strength coach that I can't tell you what it's like when you, when every time you show up to a place, I show up at a practice and every kid looks, sees me and goes, oh, and puts their head down. <laughs> they're like, they're assuming that I am the grim reaper there to just right. take a blowtorch to them. And they're often pleasantly surprised when it's like, no, we're actually going to lay on your back and do two minutes of deep breathing and, and, right. um, and, and focus and, and visualization. Or it's no, yeah. we're actually going to do a recovery mobility circuit and you're going to walk mm. out feeling way better than you do right now. Yes. Um, yes. So this, this idea of, you know, I'll show up and the coach is like, beat him up, take it to him, coach. And I'm like, mm, that's not what I'm here for. And, right. you know, you can make them run the stairs. You don't need me for right. that. You know what I mean? Right. So there's so much more to, to developing somebody to their potential. And when you see things from kind of all three sides, from not just the, the physical and structural side, but from the chemical and from the mental sides of things as well, yeah. that's where you get the kids to really appreciate it and, and connect. And, and, you know, the best thing I can get is when I hear uh, a kid, you know, I'll get a kid who's one of my, my kids who played on a team that I train and he texts me and says, coach, I want to study what you do. I'm going to apply in a college now. Can you help me out? Like that, that's what, yeah. you know, is when you know you've made the connection and it's, you know, anybody could have blown a whistle and made them run. Right. I mean, listen to, you're talking, you're preaching to the choir. Like I am like a freak and totally interested in how the human body works, biomechanics and like just learning all these things. And listen, doing the lifts that athletes need to do, regardless of your sport, the basic lifts are hard. They're skills that need to be learned. It's not just about piling the weight on the bar and then trying to do it the wrong way. It's about understanding the movement and being able to execute it properly without weight and then adding load and making sure that you're doing it right, right? Like I didn't learn how to deadlift properly until I was in my, like probably my forties. And what I realized recently, and I don't even think about it is I don't have back problems anymore because I deadlift. Like my lower back never bothers me because I deadlift the right way. And it makes my whole body stronger, my core stronger, my back stronger. Like that's important. Like you need to learn how to do those things properly. And as a father, like my kid's going to be in a weight room at some point soon. Like I want him to learn those lifts the right way before he goes in there and starts doing stupid shit. <laughs> you know, I want to make sure that they understand what they're doing and why they're doing it to your point. It fascinates me that people are okay with how many people, with how many kids get hurt when working out. Like the whole purpose of working out is to make you more robust, to keep you on the field so you can do the things you need to do. That's goal number one is yep. I say that your, our second goal is your performance. 
your your first goal is 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 keeping you healthy enough that you can actually perform because your number one ability yeah. is your availability. No one ever scored a touchdown or hit a home run from the <laughs> right, training room. So my job is to keep you on the field first and foremost. And then from there, I mean, we could, Mike, we could do an entire show. We'll call it high school horror stories. And mm-hmm. it, you know, we just going to have to have a, probably a, an eight part series of all the different things that happen in just a high school weight room. Literally just the other day, kid came in, um, and they were, his school was doing, um, uh, Max testing for the power clean. Now we could go on a whole tangent on that, right? right? Uh, kid broke his wrist. Okay. So now kid broke his wrist. Now he, that's probably going to set him back, you know, at least a couple months. So not only did you, what were you trying to gain out of that? Like, what was the, 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 the thing to say it, it, it just put a record board on the whiteboard on the wall, just to say, I, you know, this kid has a, has the best max on the team. When there's yeah. so many different things that we could talk about. Um, one, who cares, right? So John Torino who's a mutual friend of mine. He was a strength coach of the mm-hmm. Colts. The first thing he did was take all the record boards down because you know what he realized? And I realized that after some time, when I, I made the mistake of doing that, is when I look at those top fives, those weren't the top five players on the field, right? They, right. they were the top five in the weight room. And when we train, we don't train to get good at training. You're training to get good at something else. So right. that that is the first thing that we have to, to, to understand and appreciate that if I increase your bench press, that's nice. It shows us progress, but it's not necessarily uh, a good thing unless it's going to translate to what actually we're, we're going to do. Right. And then when we talk about what is allowable in a high school weight room. And John and I actually have had this conversation as well. It is modern day uh, legal child abuse. And what I mean by that is you can have a kid. I, I've had kids. I have. I actually posted this on my social media. Uh, we did. A, I did a whole series on on training high school teams, and just texts that I've gotten from kids. I just posted a bunch of texts I've gotten from kids, and you know, kids text me saying, Co- "You know, coach, I can't come in tonight. I can't even walk from our first workout of the year, and I'm, I can't even move." Now, if we think about that, if you if your son came home and said, "I can't walk. I can't move. I'm in so much pain," and they say. Uh, and you say, well, your first question is, well, how did that happen? You know, where did that, and he turns to you and says, it was my English teacher. It was something we did in English class. That English teacher would be brought up on charges and would lose their job instantly. Right. But if you turn and say, well, it was my football coach who did us a workout with this, then it's like, oh, good. He's a tough coach. Oh, I love that guy. He takes no (laughs) nonsense. Right. Yeah. The same thing. Like how is one, you know, something would get somebody in jail and the other one is applauded. It's insane. And so, um, that is where we have, uh, uh, just a, a huge issue with, with youth and, and, and high school development of players. Yeah. It, it fascinates me that in 2022, that stuff is still happening. If I think back to my days in playing high school football, one, I, I never, we, they, our coaches, not that they were great coaches, but they never did that to us. Like, I just don't remember ever feeling that way Two, We didn't even have like the, the weight room was like, we were just left to our own devices and the stupid nonsense that we did in the weight room at 15, 16 years old probably should have hurt myself at some point. And I probably did long-term, but like now we have so much more information and there's so many, there's technology and there's all these resources out there. And, you know, we prioritize health and safety and strength and all these things. And, and we're still doing the same old stuff. Like, what do you, what do you attribute that to? Uh, as much as it's changed, the egos haven't changed one bit uh, since uh, since those days. And so because of that, there's I think there's a couple things involved. I think there's one is that everything trickles down. 
right? So you have, um, used to be that professional athletes, they didn't have weight rooms and those types of programs. And then they got it and then college got it. And then what happens is the higher end private schools start to get it. And then now you have mm-hmm. where the public schools to keep up have to do what the private schools do. If not, the private schools are going to come and poach all their kids. Uh, yeah. and so we have to try to do all that stuff. And so we're trying to compete. So that's one end, which is kind of gone off the rails, uh, from that, from the competitiveness where you have to compete with the, the private schools and the, and the, uh, illusion of scholarships and all those things mm-hmm. that go with that. And then on the flip side, there is this complete, uh, my mistaken identity of, of mental toughness that gets yeah. slapped on a training and what that's for. And, and sure. you could probably talk about it better than me, but that has gone to an extreme where, yeah. um, one is, I hate to break it to you. If there's coaches listening, it doesn't build melt, melt the toughness. Like I, when I talk to my professional pitchers, never once do they say I'm standing on the mound with a bases loaded and two outs and a big jam. And they're like, <laughs> right. thank God coach made me, made me run all those poles. Cause I would never be able to get through this without it. Right. <laughs> right. Um, Um, And then it gets to the point where it's extreme. And again, it becomes abusive to the point of dangerous where you had situations where kids have dropped dead from heat exhaustion. There was a situation uh, where, um, and I I had a post about this as well as where I just, you know, implored coaches to say, listen, you're not training the Navy SEALs, right? I've been fortunate Mm -hmm. enough of all the places this has taken me as I did uh, I, I got the opportunity to teach on two of our SEAL bases, one outside of Chicago and, and on, at Coronado in the main Coronado. base. And, and, yeah. and it's just awe-inspiring what those people are. They're, they're, they are a unique breed. And what people understand what the SEALs is, one, is that type of training is what makes them a SEAL. That type of training is what they do to try to kick, get you know separate the weak from the strong so who can stay a SEAL, who actually doesn't leave. Because right. if you look at the it's like 70 or 80% of the, the, the Naval cadets who apply for the SEAL program don't get in. And of those who do make it, 80% of them don't finish training, right? They yes. drop out before that. So you're talking about the most elite of elite forces, not 14-year-old wet noodles walking into a weight room for the first time, <laughs> right? And right. so you take yeah. that 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 type of thing and you try to make them in Navy SEALs. And, and there was actually a, another kid who died because the SEALs do a drill where they have to carry boats overhead to work on, you know, teamwork. But that also is something that's going to really happen in, in, in their, in their training and right. war. If they, if it's they a actually functional, it's a get, functional form of training. Yeah. Yes. Well, this coach said, well, we should then have our freshman football players carrying this j- giant, heavy telephone pole, pole size log overhead. And of course the kid doesn't have the capacity to do that, drops it on his head and dies. How do you explain oh, that as, as a coach to a parent to say, I was trying to make your kid tougher. Whoops. Like it's yeah. uh, like I there it, now this isn't everywhere. I don't want to paint doom and gloom that all has, there, I mean, right. I work with high right. schools, the guys I work with uh, that I'm going to go see today, they, you won't find guys who care about their kids more than this mm-hmm. in terms of helping sure. them, you know, um, transcend and get to college and where there nobody in their family's gotten college before and give them opportunities and, and teach them things that, that maybe they don't have a significant, uh, role model in their life will teach them. And so there are, there are cr- incredible, you know, great stories to go with it as well. So yes, there's mm-hmm. some, some bad coaches and it's ego driven and it's this, this whole toughness type of mm-hmm. thing. Um, but, um, Unfortunately, you're not seeing that part trickle down from from the pro levels because if you look at the pro levels now, those type of coaches are slowly but surely dying off um, yes. because 
Um, one, because at the professional level, a lot of guys are saying, you know what, my contract's longer than yours. I don't need to listen to you. I'm not a child. Right. This is how I make a living and feed my family. Right. Um, whereas if you're a kid, you don't know any better. This is a, this is an adult. You just assume they know what they're doing. And so right. at the high school level, you're going to listen at the college level. They own you. You have to do it. And so they don't care. They, you're a commodity. There's, there's four more kids just as good behind you. So if I, right. if I chew you up and spit you out, who cares? I'll just go to the next one. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, having worked with high school kids, one of the things that I, um, have experienced with certain young people is that they're overtraining. Like, and, and I'm not an expert, you are, but like I, w- I worked with a kid who was in high school, he's a baseball player. And he like, oh, I worked out like four times today or something. And I, and he would always be tired. And I'd be like, maybe you need to take some time off and recover. You're doing too much, right? And so to me, the mental toughness part of it is having the discipline to recover and not do something because you think I have to do more. Well, sometimes it's less is more, right? Like recovery is really important. And I think that that's becoming more obvious with all of the voices in the conversation. Like at a certain point, you have to listen that recovery is critical. That means like taking a day off, you know what I'm saying? Or working on your mobility or, you know, rolling or whatever it is that you do. Like you can't just be go, go, go all the time. Your body can't handle that load and the demands of it, right? Well, the first, right after we have that, that question of why you're here and, and, you know, what makes a good workout, the next question I ask, whether it's an individual or team, is I say, when we work out, do we build up or do we break down? And they'll go, uh, build up. I'll go, no, try again. Uh, break down. Yes. Basically, what's going to happen is you're going to yeah. challenge yourself and your body's going to go, oh, my God, I don't know what you just did. But if you keep doing that, I'm going to have to come back stronger. Um, or if you're doing running or some type of endurance mm-hmm. activity, I have to come back more efficient so I can do that more the next time. That's, that's how we survived as a species. Right. And so, and that's also how workouts aren't like groundhog day. Cause if not, you'd be lifting the same weight or running the same distance, same speed all the time. <laughs> so your body adapts and said, okay, let's come back a little bit better at doing this. Cause everything we do is to build better efficiency. Now, that being said, that means that the magic doesn't happen here. The magic happens out there the other 23 hours a day. So the analogy I use is that the workout is like the seeds, okay, and that you provide the soil. Now, if I plant seeds here on this rubber workout floor, nothing's going to grow. And so uh, what do you, and I say, what do you think of the main things that are going to make your soil ready to grow, um, you know, something strong? And And I'll explain to them. It is number one, nutrition, and it is number two, sleep, okay? So we can do the greatest workout in the world. But if you're up till two in the morning playing Call of Duty or on TikTok and, and you're eating Twizzlers and drinking Red Bull, you, you're pretty much wasted your time here. So right. don't even bother because that's not that's where the magic is happening. It's not here. And so, right. again, going back to the whole sand analogy, everyone else will know, oh, what can I get at, at, at GNC? What's the best supplements I could take? So the best supplements you could take are water, real food, and a good night's sleep. Let's start with that. And once you clear all those barriers, then maybe we can talk about, you know, because if not, you're literally, literally not even bigger. You're literally peeing your money away because it's not going to have any effect. Creatine doesn't matter if you've eaten Wendy's two times that day and you have four hours sleep. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. And and listen, I was taking creatine 30 years ago and what I know, I didn't know anything about it. I just took it. Now I know that if you take too much of it, it's probably not a good thing for your internal organs, right? Like, and people are doing it in in an uneducated way, right? You supplement 
to add on to the basics. You don't supplement to like wash away a problem. <laughs> well, supplements, are the, uh, one of my mentors gave me a great analogy. Supplements are like golden nails. And here's what I mean. All right. So we're going to build this house. Mike, here's the deal. You're going to go out and get uh, all the, the nails and you say, all right, well, I want this thing to be really good. So I'm going to buy the best nails made out of gold that I can find. And I'm going to get all the wood. And so I go into the woods and I find this old, rotted, dilapidated plywood that was sitting by the river. Okay. And I bring it back. Does it matter how good your nails are at this point? No. Right. The framework is, is garbage. So it doesn't matter. So I have kids mm -hmm. before I let you take a supplement. I said, you need to text me and let me know what you're going to take. Send me a picture of the label. Though. So first I have to make sure it's not dangerous because there's no regulation on supplements. You and I can right. cook up something in your kitchen sink and sell it. Right. Um, and there's no regulation on I, that because that's kind of the deal the government made with the supplement industries and there's no regulation. So that's the first problem. Second mm -hmm. problem is who are you buying it from and getting your advice from a kid at vitamin shop who, who got the job a week ago and it was either there or working at the gap and just vitamin shop call back first. Right. And because yeah. they've worked out for six months and they they've read a muscle and fitness magazine, they're now the person you trust your health to, right? right? So you're buying whatever crap is on the shelf and there's high school kids buying dog food size bags of weight gainer, not having <laughs> any idea what's in that crap and taking it and, and not understanding why they're not making changes. And so, right. and I appreciate it from the kid's standpoint, the kid's getting a barrage of information sure. and thrown at of them. Course. And with social media, it's yep. hard to detect the difference between you know, someone who's been doing it for 25 years and mm -hmm. someone that just picked the right parents and happens to have abs and has 10,000 followers. And so, um, yeah. that's the, that's the, the, the struggle that I have right in, in, in my sure. business. Um, and I joke with my son who's, who's in college, my oldest son's in college, he's studying accounting. And I said, here's the advantage you have son is when you get out and you go to, to, to start your thing, you're not going to have to compete against accounting enthusiasts, right? right? I have to compete. I've been doing this for 25 years and I've had a Super Bowl ring and I have all the things I've done taught around the world. And I still have to compete with the liver king. I have to compete with like booty <laughs> girls because those are fitness enthusiasts, right? right. And so, um, you know, all people yes. come into me and they're like, oh, I saw this cool workout on the rocks stream. Can we do that? And I said, all right, I'll tell you what we'll do. First, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call your, uh, you have somebody who handles your finances. I said, call that guy up and, and say, can we do the Rocks financial plan? And I'll say, well, I don't have that kind of money. And say, yeah, you don't. And right. you're also not the Rock because the Rock is a freak. He's, he's, <laughs> he's a, first of all, he's a division one athlete who went to the University of Miami. And the only reason he didn't play is because he was playing behind a Hall of Famer at defensive right. line, right? And right. so, first of all, you're not that, okay? And then on top of that, he's, probably got some other supplements that you're not going to find at vitamin shop. Right. And right. what makes you think you're going to do his workout, right? It's no different than thinking you're going to do his financial plan. when He's got billions of right. dollars because he's been in every movie ever made for the last 20 years. So that's yeah. where the, this information coming yes. into him. They don't have the ability to, to kind of look at this from a, a break it down from a, a perspective of saying this, yeah. this doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess I was, I, I was wondering, right? Like, so I know you, we were talking about sort of every, everything is sort of unique to the individual or the groups that you're coaching. Right. But are there like maybe like one or two th or three things like basic movements that you teach everybody? 
Uh, there are certain, it's not so much movements. Yes, there are certain movements everybody should be able to do. They should be able to touch your toes. You should be able to rotate right to left and extend. And the first thing you should be able to do is do those without pain. And it's amazing uh, mm -hmm. how many kids, just even at the high school level, have pain. Like I did a, I did a movement screening on a high school baseball team and 30% of the kids had pain just doing body weight movements, right? That's before we even started working out. And that's before they even started their season. This wasn't at the end of a long season. This is beforehand. Right. And that's like scary that you have high school kids walking around in pain. Um, mm -hmm. So the first thing is we got to make sure that that's not happening because it's not going to get better when I put a weight in your hand. Um, and then the, the next thing is just having certain minimums that you need to hit, whether it's on the movement standpoint and stuff I talked about before, like before you ever deadlift, you should at least be able to touch your toes. Cause if you can't touch your toes, there's no shot at you being able to do mm. a good fundamental deadlift. Then there's certain things in terms of the, the capacity minimums that you should be able to hit. And, um, so like, as an example, you know, kids say, well, I want to do chin ups, right? Well, the first thing I'm going to do and is there's a minute there's, you have to be able to do a straight arm hang, right? hand shoulder width, palms overhand with your thumbs wrapped around the bar. Can you hang for 60 seconds without falling down? If you can do that, then you can do a bent arm hang, flip your hands around the other way and get your chest to the bar and do that for 30 seconds. Now, if you could do those two things, then great. Now we can start programming chin-ups and there's a bunch of different varieties of, uh, and, mm -hmm. and schemes we can go about that. But if you can't even pass the entry exam of the, the 60 second hold, guess what you do? You're going to do a straight arm hang until you can't. And so if you can hang on the bar for 14 seconds, what do you think your chin-up's going to look like? So why bother? So that's kind of, you know, one of the minimums that we, we kind of look for to say there's, there's got to be certain checks and balances before we just throw sure. everybody into, into doing this stuff. I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit here because this is just my curiosity as somebody who's into this stuff as well. And this is a working theory, right? Like I'm not an expert, but like, the world we live in with technology, whether it's phones or computers or video games or whatever it is, has to be creating an sort of a um, exaggerated scapular imbalance or instability in terms of like scapular strength, right? Which is essentially you're talking about grip strength right there with the the hang, but it's also scapular stability, right? Are you seeing that maybe particular to pitchers, like where the kids just well, like either hunched over or they're just not, they're not as stable as they need to be to do the things that they're doing. Well, you have, you have two things that go with that. So when we go through the whole progression, the first thing you look at is mobility. Do they have at least enough mobility where yeah. they can move through full range of motion for whatever that given task or activity is. So obviously um, when you're in extended uh, or you're in postures for extended periods of time, you're playing, yep. you know, um, you know, you're playing a, a Call of Duty for six hours at a time. You, what happens <laughs> is, you know, sitting in a after you just sat at a desk for eight hours at school, what happens right. is muscles will adaptively shorten. And to, to make some complex muscle physiology really um, simplistic is if you kind of overlap your fingers uh, like I have them now, that's one small unit. And if imagine a million of those lined up to each other, that's what a muscle is. Well, those are what's called sarcomeres. Now, what they found is when you put things constantly in shortened position, you'll actually drop sarcomeres. The muscle will actually adaptively shorten. So now that hip flexor right. that used to that attaches from the front of your hip to your uh, lumbar spine now starts to yank down on your low back, and now you can have some low back issues. And same thing, like you said, the shoulder, the front part of your shoulder starts to shorten and pull down, and you have some of those things. So then, so first you have yeah. the mobility issues that come with that. So that even if they wanted to, they can't even get 
their scapula and their shoulder and their arm in the proper position to be able to produce force. That's number one. And then once you get them that range, it doesn't mean that they can control it because you have people that don't necessarily aren't stiff, but they just don't have the ability to beat gravity. Like gravity's winning and they just fall forward. And so having the, the postural endurance and integrity that they can actually even get in those positions and hold those positions. Um, that's the next thing hurdle you have to climb and, and working on a lot of those postural muscles that, that run, up and down your spine and in between your shoulder blades and behind yep. your shoulders. That's a whole nother thing that we have to account for. Um, sure. and then from there, then you have the actual strength that you can match the, the challenge that you're going into, whether it's throwing a ball or whether it's, uh, trying to push somebody off the line in, in football or, or, um, having the strength to, to put into the ground to, to run or jump or change direction. Um, and then the body control to, to manage all that. Once you do, Okay, how do I can decelerate my next step and then reaccelerate for another step? All those things get compromised when the person is sedentary. Okay, when the person yeah. is 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 not exposed to those types of things, and when we we think the you know beginning, end, uh, and middle is just bench, squat, and clean, it, <laughs> it doesn't check all those boxes, unfortunately. Right. So how, so when you're teaching young people this, right, because you're teaching them, right, you're reprogramming their understanding of how the body works and what's really important because they're not thinking about mobility, right? In most cases, they're thinking about how much weight can I push on the bench or how much weight can you squat? But they're not thinking about and understanding sort of the biomechanics behind it and how the body works. Like, how do you find they respond when you start to talk to them in those terms? Like, what's the, what's the... What's the typical response if there is one? The key is is to always attach it to um, the skill, the the end product, right? What's going to gotcha. happen on Friday night? Yep. What's going to happen when you get out right. on the mound? What's going to happen when when you're on the mat? How is this going to translate? Because if not, I, I'd be the same thing. Listen, not only yeah. when I not only when I was 16 would I say like, why do I care? But um, you, and if your sell, selling point is well, you're going to care when you're my age, and I can't you know, get out of a chair. Right. They're going to tune you right out. Yeah, exactly. I'm invincible at 16. And you know what? It, it, I'm almost 50 and I'd still tune you out. Like, why do I care? Right. Right. But if I can attach it to your skill to say, listen, your rotation of your, your upper body, your thorax and your T-spine, that's what allows you to get that ball over your shoulder. Right. And if, if you can't do that, you can't get there. They're like, yeah, I, I can't ever get a ball over my left shoulder. Is that why? Like it, probably a good chance of that. So if you can connect yeah. it to the skill, then they're yes. bought in, right? Cause they're not, they, they're not there for the workout either. They just been told that by the adults, we have to talk at like, this is bigger than this. This leads, they're like, this yeah. actually has something to do with that. Yeah. This has to do with you doing everything you do out there. This is why we're here. We're not here to work out just to get good at working out. Um, unless your sport is powerlifting, Olympic lifting or CrossFit, we're working right. out to get better at something else, not working out right. to get better at application. Out. Right. So th- th- actually you, you, your answer, the, the, the tail part of that answer c- runs right into my next question. So talk to me about how it is trying to, I don't want to use sell, but I'm going to use it. Sell the adults in the room, whether it's parents or the coaching staffs that you're talking to, like what's the response sort of, you know, uh, what are the objections or, you know, how does that go for you? Because I, I know I have conversations just like that. And I think people think they know until they don't. And some people don't want to hear it. And some people are very open to it. So like, what's your experience in that respect? 
Um, the, what I found has been the most successful is take myself out of it. Right. And it Mm -hmm. is not my program versus the, the, the strength coach down the street. It is okay. So if you come in and you say the end result is I want to be faster. I want my son or daughter to be faster. My first question, my first answer is not, well, I have this incredible speed program and we've taken kids from here to here. And, uh, my speed program is better than their speed program because we have these chiming devices or I, I've studied this or I know this. That's mm-hmm. not the route that I take. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do, whether it's just in, in their conversation sure. or even look at an ad for a gym. They tell you how many square feet they have, man, how many thousand pounds of free weights <laughs> they have, right? Like, what right. do I care? I can only lift a hundred, couple hundred of them at a time. Like, right. I don't care if you have 25,000 pounds of free weights. Right. Those are selling. I'm going to say, okay, you want to be faster? Why aren't you fast in the first place? And do you know why? Because I can figure it out. And you're probably here because you can't. Right. And so, and I'm usually my best conversation is with the person who's been to two different coaches or other speed centers and like, yeah, I just, you know, I've gone to a bunch of places, but I don't really get any, any better. And so my thing is I am an investigator. I am a problem solver. I'm here to figure Mm. out why you're not fast, why you don't throw it hard enough, why you don't, um, why you keep rolling that ankle, um, and figure out why, because, and, and with that, it's not that I'm this this mystical guru. I just have a really <laughs> I, I have this really good set of checklists that I use. So I'm gonna yep. first see is I'm gonna look I'm gonna do some diligence and I'm gonna see do you have uh, uh, anything in your medical history, your injury history, your training history that could that could have mm-hmm. contributed to this or that's taking away from this. Like I have kids that bring in their their high school programs or the workouts they're doing on their own, and it's like, well, that's why it's you're not where you should be. Like these, these right. workouts you're doing are terrible. Like you need to change right. that first before I do anything with you. Right. So yeah. that's number one. Number two, then I'm going to look at a, do an evaluation. Say, is your movement a problem? Do you have enough mobility? Do you have enough control? Is, is that the issue? And if it is, then mm-hmm. I actually have some solutions that can clean up those issues. If you don't have enough rotation, or if you don't have the ability to control yourself on a single leg. And then if that's mm-hmm. not the case, then we look at performance factors and break it down methodically and say, is it that you mm-hmm. don't have the endurance, you don't have the strength, you don't have the power, you don't have the elasticity? What, what is the limiting factor there? Um, and then what we do is we look at your lifestyle factors and say, I want to mm-hmm. find out a little bit about your nutrition. Give me a food log of the next three days of everything you eat. And we <laughs> just we just gather this information and find out where the weakest links are and then put together solutions for that. And if you don't have that process, you may have a really good solution for the smallest problem they have, right? And mm. you're going to be chasing after sand when you don't realize that there's, right. you know, this this person has a much more Big significant issue. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's really where the the sale is. It's not about me. And and so, you know, when the my favorite answers are, are you know, I don't know, and it depends. And so. <laughs> If you tell me, if you say to me, you know, I'm bringing my son in and he wants to be a better baseball player. And what are you going to do with him? I don't know yet. I don't know. I don't know what he needs. And so I may go through the whole thing and find out, here's the deal. We looked at all that stuff. We looked at all his history, his medical history, his injury history. We looked at all the things he's doing in terms of activities. That box is checked. He's good there. We looked at his movement. He moves well. We looked at his performance uh, factors. He's he's for strength, speed, all that stuff for his age, his competitive level. He's great. Um, you know why he's really not what you want to be at baseball? 
because he kind of stinks at baseball. He needs a skill coach. He needs a hitting coach. He needs <laughs> right. he needs somebody that right. can, I'm not. You know, I could certainly make him a little better. I haven't found out if an athlete I can't make better, but that's not the biggest rock in this kid's you know program. So yeah. it's and but having a non biased you know evaluation approach where you have checklists that, yeah. that that checks all those boxes. I don't really care what I'm not invested in so much in any one method that I have to be married to that, that yes. you're going to end up doing this, that your session may end up being, I've had sessions that are just literally just me and you sitting down and talking about nutrition or talking about um, mm-hmm. lifestyle stuff. And we never touch a weight. We never even, you never, you could have kept your jacket on the whole time. Right. Yeah. So I, I, it's not necessarily because that's, what's going to get you to the next step. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's what you came for. Right. So if you just want to work out and, so, and somebody count your reps and spot, you get one of your buddies. They'll do it for free. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I go through exactly the same things in my work, right. Where people come to you and say like, what's the result going to be? Like, how fast am I going to see results or like, you know, like, and I tell them, I don't know, right. You don't know until you know, and it requires a couple of things, right. It requires patience and it requires a, a dedication to the process, which I guess maybe they're one and the same. But I think a lot of people want results really fast. And those are the people that it sounds like, at least I go through this too. It sounds like, you know, for me, like if somebody wants like quick fix results, like I'm not your guy and that's okay, right? There's plenty of people who will sell you that. But like the people who buy in and say like, I get it, like let's go and have a conversation and it's going to take a few months of, of just sort of chipping away at like what's really going on and trying different things. That's, those are the people that I, at least I want to work with because now I know that they really are committed to being better because there's no guarantee of anything. You know, I can't guarantee results because there's so many variables that go into it, but you want people who are dedicated to the process, which it sounds like you are sort of in exactly the same boat in terms of what you do. Well, on the, on a personal side with, with the business stuff, I explained to parents, I said, there's, there's mm-hmm. kind of two things in our industry. There's, you know, there's that big warehouse down the street that has all, you know, has turf and, and mm-hmm. weights and, and, uh, they have classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you can sign up for some kids are better suited for that. And some kids kind of just need that. They just need some structure. And, and some of those places can do right and make a big mm-hmm. difference. Um, I'm not that. And so, uh, if your son need or daughter needs that and needs that direction and, and, and so forth, then that's the place for them. And I'm fine if you go there and best of luck. Um, yeah. I am more of a general contractor and architect for this project where I'm figuring out what your needs are. I'm going to put together the plans and then you're the one that's actually putting this whole thing together. So if, mm. if you have someone that that's not built like that, that doesn't just say here, do this for the next week and come back next week and we'll check in, then I'm not your guy. Um, and then, so with that, it comes to understanding the different personality types. And even mm-hmm. when I'm working with teams that I got to be able to figure out who's the kid who needs the kick in the ass and who's the kid that needs the arm, arm around the shoulder. Um, mm-hmm. and because I may be telling the same message to both, but I have to tell it in a very different way. Sure. Um, and then there's the kids that are the kids that I have to, they have to, to challenge and say like, come on, man, I, I know you could have done more than that, but you're better right. than that. You could have done more than you. I know mm-hmm. you have more in the tank. And then there's the other kids that have to say, you need to slow down, like right. stop more is not better. Trust right. the process ease up. Like there's, there's, right. there's different types of personalities within kids. And then you have to see how much of that is actually truly di- driven by the parent and how much is truly them. That's mm-hmm. why I tell parents, I want them there for the evaluation. And so they can see what they're investing in and what this process is going to look like. But then after that first yeah. session, I don't want you here. I don't want you in their eyesight. 
because they're just going to be looking over the shoulder the whole time and I'm not going to see who they truly are. Um, yeah. and so that's going to, that's going to be a part of the process. Cause I have, I have kids that are, uh, I have to drag along a little bit and they don't usually last long. And then I have the other kids, I, I call them box and nails kids, Mike's like, if I said, here's your deal, Mike, I'm going to give you this box of nails. I need you to eat everyone in the box and come and, and that's what's going to make you better. And they'll come back at the next session with an empty box. Say, coach, do I need another one or no? <laughs> and those are, those are certain kids. Those are easy yeah. kids to deal with. They make us look right. like, you know, superheroes. Right. So right. most kids are somewhere in between that. And, and that's a whole art in and of itself. There's a, a yeah. great book called conscious coaching by Brett Bartholomew. I've where He talks it. about that and, 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 and understanding and appreciating all the different, you know, types that you have uh, on your team and that are going to walk through your door and knowing that you can't, even though you may, I could teach the same program to four different kids, but just delivering it in a different way um, is kind of the art of what we do. Yeah. So I I couldn't help but think about that when you were giving your answers, like that's coaching, right? Like, and I, I, we can go, I, I will go on a rant when I have the time about the art of coaching, right? The art of actually being able to understand somebody and giving them what they need to be better versus this is the way I coach and it's probably the wrong way, but this is the way I do it. And if you don't like it, tough shit. Like I, I see it all over the place. And what's happening is when kids get to me and they get to you and they get to John and they get to other people, there is so much unwinding and deprogramming and reprogramming because they've been told a bunch of stuff that just it's most of it's well-intentioned, but it's just not right. It's just not right. And it's, it's, it's scary. And I talk to John, our mutual friend, John about this all the time, because we live in the same area. We see a lot of the same things. It's like, there's just a dearth of really good coaches. And when you get one, don't let them go. Right. At least until you can't. Right. Um, so uh, that leads me to my next question, which is to say, because of the way you do things, does that sort of lead you to a certain type of client? Is is it like, you know, the profile, like maybe ones that are higher achievers or sort of destined for some sort of future career in athletics because of the way you do things? And I would imagine because of, you know, maybe cost and other things, like, do you find yourself getting a certain type of kid or is it is it not that? Is it sort of all across the board? sometimes uh because they'll they'll get scared off when they when they realize that i'm going to put that personal responsibility on them um it it may but at the other times i tell great i tell always tell the story of a a kid we had at my facility uh years and years ago and i tell the story and this kid his whole big vision was he wanted to make the varsity team at the local high school and this local high school was not exactly like a powerhouse. This was an IMG. Like this was a high school right. that maybe won 50% of their games at best, but he just wanted to make that varsity team. And the kid worked his tail off. And it was so cool because his senior year, he made the varsity team and he was so excited about it and, and just theming. And I said, listen, it's funny because his dad was accountant. This kid's destined to be an accountant. And I said, listen, <laughs> you came in and you look like an accountant. You're leaving as a really athletic accountant. Right. He's going to kill it in some Y league down the road, but he's not going to the NBA, but right. he got every ounce out of that. Out of, he got every, you know, yes. squeeze of juice out of that. And, and that's, that's really more, you know, gratifying than the kid who shows up and just pick the right parents and has, you know, the great DNA that he could have eaten sure. potato chips and is going to go division one. Um, yeah. So, you know, so that's where, um, you know, that kind of comes into play with, with, 
you know, the, the type of people that, that, that I kind of get drawn to, but it, it's really mm-hmm. just about seeing what, what's being left on the table. Like, what are you, what are you mm-hmm. missing out on? What's the big rocks that you're not even thinking sure. about? And that's kind of my job. And, you know, it's funny, we keep bringing up our mutual friend, John, and, and we actually <laughs> had this conversation. He was, he was going on a podcast and I happened to be on a phone with him before that. And it, it sparked a really cool conversation. He says, listen, I'm going on this podcast. And like one question they said ahead of time was what makes a great coach? And, uh, I pondered it for a little bit. And then, you know, I came back to him. I said, here's what makes a great coach is that they are so good at the technical and teaching you the technical that they basically become obsolete. Right. Right. But they are so good at the tactical that they're essential and you can't do without them. And so like a great Mm -hmm. example of that is like, if you look at one of the greatest coaches of all time, you look at Bill Belichick right? He's good, so good with the technical. You could probably go to Patriots practice and, and he could not even be there. And you watch, and I bet you every drill is done to perfection, right? Because right. he's just so, so meticulous in terms of how he teaches that and how everything is executed. But in terms of the tactical, he's brilliant. And he's right. brilliant because he doesn't have the ego that a lot of coaches have where I am the West Coast offense guy or right. I am the, the whatever guy. And I'm going to oh. try to put that square peg no matter what shape the hole is where yes. he will have a completely different game plan for each opponent. And that takes a, a, a bit of humility to say, I'm going to base it based on not me, but based on what the environment is going to say. And, yes. and, 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 you know, and you play fantasy football. That's why it sucks to have a Patriot on your team because you <laughs> right, they're they're have, a back, have a running back that run for 220 yards one week and he won't even play right. the next week. Right. That's right. But that's because he has the humility to say, I'm not going right. to force feed my game plan and my, yes. my method onto anything. And yeah. so like, there's a course that, that I just, uh, created with a partner of mine and it's on program design for trainers and strength coaches and physical therapists. And one of the big things we talk about is the difference of principles versus methods. Methods is if it's football, it's whether you run a run and shoot or a West Coast offense or, or any mm. of those type of things. Um, whereas a principle is okay, we're going to win the line of scrimmage. Principle mm. is we're going to we're going to be quick to the ball. You know, those are principles that you can plug any method into. So. Right. Uh, that's where I think you see great coaches because they're so sure. good with the tactical because they don't veer from their principles, um, right. but they, they their methods are interchangeable. But yeah. they're so they're so good with their technical and how they can teach that and get you to understand it. That you know I love when a kid can walk into a, a weight room or a gym and everybody says like they they're they you know, they're just impeccable with their form or they know more than the strength coach does. Right. And so that's where, Mm -hmm. that's where they're so good with the technical, um, that you just basically become obsolete and, and, but they're so good with the tactical that you're essential. Yeah. I love that answer. It's, it's, it's never been put to me that way, but it makes complete sense. And I think that that's, yeah, that's the essence of really good coaching. So, so for the athletes that you do have that, you know, are on a trajectory post high school, whether it's to be a division one player, or maybe they're destined to be a professional, like what are some of the issues you see, um, at the high school level that might cause them to have some translation problems when they go to the next level? Like what are some of the things you're working on in high school to get them ready for whether it's professional baseball or, or just a division one sport? 
I would say the first thing that comes to mind is the greatest sin we have uh, at that level is especially if you have if you have a great kid that plays on a good team. Okay, um, he now is becomes a gold star special treat that is a once every you know five to ten years type of player, mm-hmm. and so because of that, that coach is going to be very protective of that player. Mm-hmm. And they're also going to be scared to really coach that kid and tell them the truth sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I can't tell you how many kids that I've seen um, that were the, the the superstar in their local town at their local high school. Mm-hmm. And they let them get away with lousy grades and screwing off in school or being late to practice and all those things because they handle them with kick gloves as a, as a as a uh, superstar because they didn't have a team full of superstars. Now you got a, a big time private school and everybody's a superstar. They're not going to, you're not going to see that as much, but when you're so much better than everybody else and you're allowed to do things that you wouldn't allow your average kids to do sure. that hamstrings kids more than anything else. Yep. And so the, the, the biggest thing I can do for that kid is be real with them and say, listen, mm-hmm. I know you're great here, but I'm going to let you know that there is, you are a dime a dozen when you go to the place the place that you're yep. going to go to, right? And and I always love this experience. So with my kids growing up, that they were playing as baseball players, um, my one of my favorite things would be when we would go to an out of state tournament and we would get our heads handed to us, like lose, like get mercy, like twenty something to nothing, mm-hmm. because I then all the delusional parents around me who thought their kid was going to get drafted into the MLB at yes. fourteen. I can explain to him, say, okay, look, we're just a bunch of kids in a, in a town team from New Jersey, that club team from Maryland that just put a 20 spot on us with their yeah. backups. Those kids go down to Florida and will, they will get beat by 20, right? right? There's always somebody and that. And that team from Florida plays year round that beat them by 20. They go to the Dominican Republic and they will get wiped up by a bunch of kids with milk cartons for gloves and, and you know, <laughs> right. um, you know, broomsticks for bats. Because you don't realize how far down the the food chain you are. And so being able to keep in perspective where you match up um, is, is, and that's the benefit I've had on all levels is I've seen it at the, at the professional level, working with, with pro athletes Mm -hmm. and then being uh, as professionally. um, And then personally, I've seen it um, both as a coach of, of kids through coach, my kids as well, still volunteering to coach to Mm -hmm. being a dad. And kind of keeping all that yeah. in perspective, being ha- all those different lenses allow you to see like, look, I- I've seen the best in the world. I love your son, but he's not, he's not that. Right. And, right. and so that's okay. There's a reason why 80,000 people show up and, and spend their week's paycheck to see that person because they're right. freaks. You just don't yeah. appreciate just how freakish they are. It, it is okay. And I think, listen, I mean, what you just said is exactly what's been my experience firsthand working with young people. Some of them who've gone on to play division one, you know, sports. I have a former client who I worked with in a high school here in New Jersey. He went to college and it was like, not anything that he expected. And I said to him, I said, listen, yeah, it was hard. It was a hard first year. It wasn't what you expected. You pitched a third of an inning right? Like you struggled. I said, but what's the goal? And he said, the goal is to go to the major leagues. I said, yep. And you can get there because you're six foot five and throw 97 miles an hour. I said, but you got to look at this as a journey, right? You've got two to three more years to develop yourself and your craft and get better. This first year doesn't define you. And I think a lot of kids struggle with that. 
because they're so used to generating results on demand because they were so much better than everybody else. And then they go to this place where they're in a big pond and, uh, you know, they're, they're just one of many and they just don't know how to handle it mentally. They don't know how to handle it. The physical abilities there because they wouldn't have gotten there if they didn't have it, but the mentally it's a challenge. And every kid that I work with, I have a couple of college runners, same thing. They were stars in high school and now they're right in the middle of the pack and it's really hard to deal with. And so how do you mentally prepare yourself for that, right? That transition, that change and being in that situation where you've never been before. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of mental tough. That's real mental toughness, right? When you're not performing at the level you're used to and how do I work through this? So I get to, I get back to where I was and that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. That's where, that's where uh, you have to be lucky and get yourself a good coach because um, like I said, if you handle that superstar with kit gloves and you never let him know these truths, he's never going to get there. And mm-hmm. so because of that, um, the, they can get hamstrung for that. And that's where they get held back. And, and, and that's where you really have to help out with that. Yeah. All right. So let's, as we kind of run up here, just past an hour, I'll, I'll ask you my last question. I ask everybody the same question, uh, in, you know, various forms, but it's basically the same. So if you had to give one, one piece of advice to those listening, whether parents, families, the kid, you can choose. What would that piece of advice be? Uh, understand that it is a process, okay? And then with that process, there are going to be struggles, and but your struggles are not the same as the next guy's struggles, all right? Some mm-hmm. is going to struggle because they don't have the physical capabilities. Some will struggle because they have the mental capabilities. Some are going to struggle because of their environment that they're put in or where they're coming from. Um, and so you can't overcome someone else's struggles and they can't mm-hmm. overcome yours. And so I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that you have to appreciate that, you know, for that kid who's in the suburbs and he's the superstar of his team mm-hmm. that you can't appreciate what that kid in the inner city has got to go through just to get to practice. Right. And, and so the, but at the same time, you also, that kid in the inner city might not understand that the, the pressures that this parent is putting on on the other kid to say, you know, I need you to go to an Ivy league school or I need you to get a scholarship or I need you to get any of those things because mm-hmm. like the, you know, the, the Kenny inner city, if look, if you just get out of this thing alive, we're happy. And so, right. um, understanding that you make, don't make someone else's struggles yours and just kind of figure out what is it going to take me to get to where I want to go? What is yeah. it, what is it that's holding me back and finding the right person that can, can, that can tell you the truth about that because, and we could spend a whole nother podcast we talking could. about yes. how there's a, this is a business, right? And and uh, Michael Lewis just wrote a, a great new book on the, the 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 youth sports industrial complex, and with that, the billions of dollars that are getting made off of that. And yep. if most people that are that are making decisions for you and, and that are trying to answer those questions for you, they have a financial vested interest in that. So when they tell you, you need to play year round baseball or you're not making our club, team, right. then what am I going to do? And now I'm $5,000 in and my, you know, and I'm so emotionally and financially invested in this thing that there's no way out of this rabbit hole. Um, and then your kid gets all the way to senior year and says, you know, I don't want to play in college anymore. And right. you know what? I could have saved myself 15 grand yeah. and you could have played for the local, you know, Legion team. So right. I think that's the biggest thing is to not lose sight of the big picture. I, I would highly encourage that people kind of look at that book and kind of keep perspective and figure out what's, 
what's going to be the process here and what, and where is that process going to take me? And are yep. the people that are leading me down this path, are they doing it for the right reasons? Yep. It's a great answer. It's a great way to finish. And I think it is an entirely another pod, another podcast, which I could visualize that that's going to happen at some point in the future if I keep this going. So Eric, I want to, um, I want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate the time you spent. I know we ran probably a little bit long, but, um, it was a great, great talk. Thank you for being a part of it. Absolutely. No problem. And like, it's it, like, it's like we both said, we probably could go on for another one. So anytime we want to yeah. come back, let me know. Awesome. Thank you so much. So what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Eric Degatti? For me, it's that young athletes need to master the fundamentals of movement before using physical training as a way to improve performance. Eric talked about the jar of life and how we must put the big rocks into the jar before the pebbles and the sand. In this context, the big rock is learning how to move well first before ever picking up a barbell. My suggestion to young athletes and their families is to seek out a coach that will properly assess physical capabilities before engaging in any sort of physical training. Further, find a coach that'll help you prioritize the fundamentals of training in order to identify the type of training that works best for you. I want to thank Eric for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. To learn more about how mental performance coaching can help your mind work for you rather than against you, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back in two weeks, ready to get better. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.